following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Psalm 93, Majesty of God's Rule. The Lord is King. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. More majestic than the thunders of the mighty waters, more majestic than the waves of the sea, majestic on high is the Lord. Your decrees are very sure. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Right. This is uh, Daniel 7. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Thousand thousands, million? Ten thousand, ten thousand. Bigger. Than, <laughs> I was trying to get some scale. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Thank you, Jamie. I was told that there would be no math. <laughs> his dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. So these words uh, come from the book of Daniel, the Hebrew prophet. They ring out from at least two centuries before the birth of Jesus, like some apocalyptic fever dream. (laughs) And to them, let me add another passage from our assigned readings today, this one from the Christian scriptures. It's Revelation 1, 4 through 8. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen.
So do you see how these two passages are kind of connected to each other? They have some similar language, even though they're written hundreds of years apart from each other. I wonder how those passages make you feel. Um, maybe just in general or about God. Or if you're more of an observational kind of person, what sort of picture do they paint? And these are not rhetorical questions. I would like you to shout out an answer or type it into Zoom. I'll open up Zoom so I can see the chat. How do these passages make you feel? Just a word or two, an emotion or an image that you saw. Uneasy, yeah. Anybody else uneasy? Overwhelmed, thank you. Yeah. Sustained. Oh, sustained. Fight, fight. <laughs> I kid, but we do come to these things with very different experiences, don't we? Anything else? Confused. confused. You said it. <laughs> Anybody else was feeling confused and didn't quite want to shout it out? (laughs) This is a church where if you feel confused, it is okay to shout it out. Confused. (laughs) Yeah. Suspicious. Ah, thank you. Well, maybe lots of other uh, answers that are just kind of below the surface for you or that you don't want to share. Um, Someone in Zoom said, raise his hand. Oh, that must be in response to the, the confused thing. Sorry. <laughs> now who's confused? <laughs> um, so these all point us toward a picture of Jesus as a king, because that is the day that the church celebrates today. Um, this is the feast of the reign of Christ, uh, which is the non-gendered way of saying it, or um, also known as uh, Christ the King Sunday. And it is the final Sunday of the liturgical year. So next week will be New Year's for the church calendar, and we'll begin the season of Advent, which always seems to sneak up on us, but here it is, uh, already here. And so we begin the Christian year, the liturgical calendar starts with us preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus in that manger in Bethlehem. And then we go through the whole year, and at the end of the year, the year ends with us reflecting on that same Jesus as the king of the universe. More on that in a few minutes. Um, But I wanted to take an opportunity to share with you just a couple of the responses that I got to last week's sermon, which was on thankfulness, not just in suffering, but for suffering. First of all, um, that's a very humbling topic to have to teach anybody on or to preach about. And so thank you for your kindness and generosity and your responses to that, um, which uh, always assumes the best about um, me, even when it offers some critique or response. Um, But I want to just tell you the range of feedback that I got from last week's message. I'll give you kind of two polls, and then there were some other responses that I got that were in between. The first was... um, I think it would be better to interpret that language as metaphorical and hyperbolic because here's a list of all the really awful things that have happened just to people I know that I would never ask them to give thanks for, essentially. And then on the other end of the spectrum um, was a response that said, I had to leave in the middle of the sermon because uh, I could see that the people around me really needed to hear it, but for me it was very painful because it was so obvious to me that suffering all of the suffering that I've endured has uh, turned out 
to teach me things and, and make me a better person. This is a paraphrase. <laughs> so those are the two poles of responses that I got to the message last week. And there were some of you who said something in between, either in person, over email, that kind of stuff. So no major revelation there. But I wanted to acknowledge, much as I sort of joked a minute ago uh, when two people had very different emotional responses to the same passage of Scripture, that um, we're going to be all over the map with our response to a concept as difficult and challenging as giving thanks during suffering or even for suffering. Um, And it's impossible to cover it in a 25-minute sermon or 25 25-minute sermons or a 1,000-thousand sermons. Um, or debates, or conversations, or any other way that we might um, grow in our understanding and and perception of what the scriptures mean. And I guess that just reinforces for me the the main lesson, which is start small. (laughs) You have to start somewhere when you're talking about trying to understand such a difficult concept, such an impossible task. And um, I hope that some of you were able to start small in the last couple of weeks as you tried to practice Thanksgiving as as a spiritual practice. Now, you could spend the rest of your life exploring what those things mean and finding new ways and taking two steps forward, one step back, and all the rest of it. I expect you probably will if you take it seriously. And that's okay. That's, that's what the spiritual life is. There's no arrival. There's only the travel. All right. So, Christ the King Sunday. Every year, pretty much, I preach on this, this day, and I'm struck by how hard it is for us as Americans, to grasp it on any level. It's just not in us constitutionally. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate, those, I appreciate those four subdued chuckles. <laughs> I mean, somebody name a king. Any, name a king. Any king that we might know. King James. Okay. Thou hast named a king. Yes. Who else? George. Henry. Nebuchadnezzar, ooh, yeah, what? <laughs> Louis the Fourteenth, Aragorn. <laughs> you know, when I rolled my twenty-sided die, it came up on six, and you were the sixth person, and you said Aragorn. That's, that's just how that works. Who? Elvis. Elvis. Oh yes. <laughs> Did I just shake my hips? Shake my hips like Elvis? Uh, not really. <laughs> Right, so we, we have to, as Americans, we have to borrow from stuff to begin to understand what monarchy even means, right? We have to borrow from uh, the English monarchy or from pop culture like Game of Thrones or whatever. We just don't get it. Um, and then to add to that already confusing picture, we have a bunch of scriptural concepts because if we want to understand what the Christian tradition means by naming Jesus king, we have to consider the culture in which that tradition arose, right? And that means um, looking at what the Israelite community concept of the monarchy was in the Hebrew Bible, which we find developing throughout the Hebrew Bible, where the kings are something we want because our neighbors have one. And then the kings do good and help us advance in our understanding and our knowledge and worship of God. And then the kings do bad and lead us astray and and on and on and on. 
And then on top of all of that, by the time we get to the Christian scriptures, what we call the New Testament, where Jesus is in the picture, Jesus doesn't seem to want to conform to anybody's understanding of what a king is and what the Messiah is. By the way, Messiah just means anointed one. It basically means king. And Christ is a word for Messiah. So Jesus Christ is like, that's literally in, in the title we give him, that he's a king. And even in the lectionary texts, which, are, which is the schedule of readings in the Bible that we use often throughout the year, and almost always on days like Christ the King Sunday, or in the season of Advent, even in the lectionary passages, which are different every year for three years, and then they start over again, you get different pictures of what it means to worship Jesus as a king, to think of the reign of Christ. Right? For example... This year it's not like this, but in a previous lectionary year, all of the readings had to do with shepherds. What an an odd juxtaposition to think about Christ as a king, but also as a shepherd. These are two very different roles, aren't they? They They both hold a stick, but for different reasons and of different materials. So, Oh, by the way, I have to show you this. Um, Jesse, today's drummer, and by the way, it's great to have you up there drumming with us again today, um, makes these every year with kids and always brings me one. This is, the, this is the paper plate version of the liturgical calendar. And there's a dot all the way around it, and I, um, I can move it every week to remind me, myself what liturgical season I'm in. And then usually it has the four seasons of the year in the middle, but Jesse made a custom one for me with Kurt Vonnegut's six seasons of the year in a northern culture, which... Um, includes uh, locking, which is the season we're in now, and unlocking, which is what happens after winter before real spring begins. <clears throat> anyway, these are up in Jesse's Etsy shop. If you want one, you can. <laughs> uh, Etsy, that's great. <laughs> I'm not making fun of Etsy, by the way. Etsy is amazing. Some of you make your living on Etsy. Actually, really do, but I don't think Jesse sells his liturgical paper plates on Etsy. <laughs> he will not. <laughs> you have to be a kid or a pastor to get one from Jesse. All right. So I want to read to you the gospel reading for this year's um, lectionary text for the Feast of the Reign of Christ. This is from uh, John chapter 18, um, 33 through 37. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That's where the lectionary passage ends, but I'm going to read verse 38 too, because then Pilate asks him that great postmodern question, what is truth? Now, 
as seems to always be the case, we have some interesting unpacking to do here. Pilate summons Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? This is a question that doesn't probably carry a lot of meaning for us on a quick superficial read, but which was incredibly weighty in the moment. Pilate was an agent of the Roman Empire, under which the Israelites, the Jews, were existing in a um, semi-peaceful state. Empires uh, only really allow people to exist, especially uh, marginalized groups of people. They're only really allowed to exist in a, in a tenuous state, and that was the case for the Jews in Rome. The Roman Empire, if you don't know, um, expanded its power and borders and size through military exercises. And they went kind of like this. We'll roll up on the next territory we want to conquer with all of the swords and the horses and the chariots and say, we're conquering you. And they, if they're smart, will say, we were just hoping you would come by and conquer us. Why don't you just go right ahead with that? Because if they didn't, the alternative was they would... Uh, they would be killed, put to death by the sword. And then, as a um, not very subtle reminder to the rest of the nation, many of them would be crucified and, and uh, hung up on a cross along the roadways where they could not be missed. So that the next time Rome decided to roll up to a territory and say, we're here to conquer you, they would respond as intended by saying, we think you were just on time. Why don't you go ahead and do that right now? Now, the Israelites had been conquered by lots of, you know, consecutively by many empires. And they were now living under Roman rule. And the Roman Empire had installed a, a kind of puppet king from among their own people, King Herod. And King Herod was the king of the Jews. He was, which is to say he was a Jewish person who they gave the title king. Um, so that he could help them maintain their rule the way they wanted to maintain it. He was not a particularly benevolent person, not a particularly kind ruler, and he was um, an agent of the empire. And so at the time of Jesus, there were many people who had uh, basically been insurrectionists. This is a word that I wish was not so... Um, fraught and loaded for us here in our country right now, uh, but unfortunately it is. But this is what they were. They were insurrectionists who were trying to overthrow the, you know, the oppressive empire. And you know what happened to them. They wound up on the roadside hanging on a cross as a reminder to the, anybody else who might get any ideas. So when Pilate says to Jesus... Are you the king of the Jews? Do you see how that's a weighty question? That there's some serious consequences in how Jesus might respond. And Jesus <clears throat> gives some very Jesus-y responses, doesn't he? <laughs> um, he answers questions with questions. He uh, immediately discerns what's behind the trick questions that he's being asked, and he gives trick answers. <laughs> You do not want to get in a debate with Jesus. And yet, 
we know how this part of Jesus' story ended, don't we? This is John 18. You know how many chapters there are in John? It's only a couple more. This is the end of Jesus' story on earth as a living human being because he ended up on a cross as a reminder to anybody else who might get ideas. And of course, he was handed over to the Roman authorities, not by a Roman centurion, but by who? By his own people, by the religious establishment that did not like the way he was teaching because it threatened their understanding of the social order and it certainly threatened the hierarchy within that order that they were benefiting from. So when I say to you provocative things like, God didn't kill Jesus, people killed Jesus, this is what I mean. The people who killed Jesus were the empire and the power-hungry religious establishment, which is never a good combination. And there's so many things that we could say, so many ideas that that we could explore in this encounter between Jesus and Pilate. But in a week, when we have, as I said earlier, been confronted with the brokenness of our own criminal justice system, when that week is just the latest in a string of such weeks that remind us of our country's addiction to violence and to harsh retributive justice, that remind us of how inextricably baked into the system white supremacy and racism actually are. In a week like that, where our system of criminal justice and punishment has been front and center once again, I am struck by one simple fact of this gospel story from the book of John. And that's that Jesus was a prisoner. This Jesus, whom we worship today as our king, This Jesus, who had the hands of a healer, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, right? This Jesus, whose teaching revolutionized the world, who was the prince of peace, who died in love, who forgave his enemies and commands us to do the same, whose resurrection we celebrate even as we struggle to understand and believe it. In this moment, That Jesus was just another ethnic minority standing before a judge, being interrogated about who he was, what he had done to land himself in that situation, and whether or not he was a threat to the power of the state. And the reason that this is such a powerful thought for me, and I hope for us, is that because it demands that we interrogate our own worldview. It demands that we become willing to see Jesus in the face of every person in a courtroom, in a jail cell, in a prison yard. Because if you cannot see Jesus as a criminal, that means you are not willing to look at the fullness of the story that I just read to you. If you can somehow convince yourself that I just read John 18, 33-38 to you, uh, but Jesus was not a criminal who was duly convicted in a court of law, 
I implore you, read the story again. And so with that in mind, I want to invite us to a period of reflection using a powerful image, which is an icon of Christ the prisoner. And we'll put that on the screen for you so that you can see it here in the sanctuary and on Zoom. Uh, But for those of you who are listening only now and can't see the image, I'll describe it to you. We see Jesus wearing a red robe seated on a block, brown-skinned, a halo behind his head, and behind that, a brick wall with an arched window that has bars in it. His hands are bound with rope, and he's holding a rod of some sort up from his hand up to to his shoulder. His head is bowed. And it says below it, Christ the prisoner. Some of you might have used iconography in your spiritual practice before as a, as a gateway to prayer or something similar, but you might not have used this image before. And if iconography is new to you, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be weird. It's simply a, a, a way to kind of sit in God's presence with a, with a prompt, if you will, much like you might have a prompt in a writing course or in a meditation practice to keep your focus This is a visual prompt that presents Jesus, the embodiment of God, to us as a prisoner. And so I'd like us to, I know we already did some silence today, but I'd like us to do a little bit more. We're going to sit in silence in front of this image of Jesus and open ourselves to whatever the Spirit might have for us. And it might be a pathway to prayer for you, prayer of all sorts. It might be a prayer of confession or of questioning or of pleading or of listening, It might be uncomfortable or slightly unsettling, and that's okay, too. It's all okay. I'm going to give you just a minute to reflect on this icon, and whatever you're experiencing in that minute, simply allow it. What do you see when you look at that icon of Christ the prisoner? I wonder if one or two of you might be willing to type into Zoom or say out a word that describes your experience. Um, Grief. Injustice. Did you say resignation? Thank you. Fear. Somebody's son. Powerlessness. Solidarity. 
Can you see in this person in a jail cell all the power of the God who made the universe? Can you imagine being taught by this prisoner? And I don't just mean, hey, that's a really neat way to look at the world. I mean being taught and being a disciple of this person giving over authority to them. Can you see the face of God? A few days later, this same body will be nailed to a cross. duly convicted by the established legal system of his day. Can you see God there too? And I have two more questions, which they are not rhetorical, but I also don't think we have time to answer them. But I want you, I, what I mean to say is that I want you to answer them for yourself and to, and to do something with the answer. The first one is, how does this icon move you to further prayer? This is a question my spiritual director asks me all the time when I tell her something that happened in my life. And she says, how did that move you to prayer? And I go, once again, it didn't. (laughs) Hmm. How does this move you to further prayer? And then what action does this icon motivate you to take as you embody your belief? Because if we are not going to embody our beliefs, well, let's pray. God, who reigns over the universe, we sit before you present with your son Jesus, Christ the prisoner, Christ the king, Christ our savior. By the power of your spirit, may he draw us closer to each other and to you in this particularized embodiment. And may we be inspired, even commanded, to put our own flesh on the bones of our belief, to embody our faith. Not sometime in the future, but right now today, this week. Show us how, remind us on Tuesday, call us to something more. We pray in the name of Christ the King, Christ the Prisoner, Christ our Savior. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.